Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for joining us for America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho and guest co-host Mathen Black. We are live in studio on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up and available as a podcast on iTunes. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. Hey, you can be that longtime listener, first-time caller who gets to have their say live on the air. Again, 847-866-9687. Hey, don't be shy. But if you are, no big deal. You can also leave us a message, 224-2189-BOX, 224-218-9269. All right, the holidays are here, and we're continuing our three-part series listening to and talking about our favorite holiday pieces of classical music Tonight, creative consultant Oliver Camacho tells us what's on his Christmas playlist and introduces us to a few major works that don't get as much play as Handel's Messiah or Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. But first, it's Chalk Talk. We talk about Russian baritone Dmitry Borisovsky. He's been battling brain cancer for months, and now he's withdrawn from all future opera performances. Can he return to the stage? And if not, who's going to take his place and what sort of a void will not singing roles leave in the life of one of the world's biggest opera stars? Guest co-host and baritone Math and Black chimes in. Also at 9.45, you get all your opera headlines and our hot takes on them in the two-minute drill. We got a fantastic show tonight for you. Are you feeling good, Oliver? Yeah, I'm feeling great. It's, uh, oh, it's, it's Advent. And uh, I just saw a couple days ago... Joyce DiDonato's in War and Peace, Harmony Through Music. You've been humping that forever, dude. I've, How it was it? It finally happened. <laughs> um, you know, I have to say that, like, I was really won over by her um, passion and by her sincerity. And there's a lot of hokiness that surrounds this show. And there's, like, a website. And there's, like, this whole installation she has where she asks people... Like, how do you find peace in a world of chaos? You know, she asked them to like write the responses down and then they get projected onto a screen. And like, mm-hmm. it's just a lot, you know. And then the right. show has like this choreography. And when you go into the theater, she's already on stage, like staring at you, like very still, like meditating or something like that. And like, there's no applause breaks between the arias. It's like continuous, you know. It's like and, performance art. Dude. Yeah. And her boyfriend is like the dancer and he's like half naked on stage the entire time okay so it's it's a lot you know but there were some pieces that she sang that she sang as well as anybody could sing huh. particularly la shakio pianga from ronaldo the augeletti che cantate also from ronaldo mm-hmm. and uh a, a handle aria called crystal streams and without getting too personal uh we are having some trouble or i should say the harris theater is having some personnel trouble some okay personal personnel trouble and Joyce recorded a video of her singing crystal streams like the the a section and then dedicated it to this this person who's having these problems wow like, in a video and sent it to our staff and it was like we all watched this video and like started crying because like so emotional yeah, you know yeah and at the end of the show um she you know uh, after her encore she talked to the audience about what this project means to her and how personal it is and how she's had a very bad year and how we've all had a bad year. And she really wanted to do something that like right. meant something it wasn't just like, you know, fireworks and high notes and stuff like that, you know? And, and she did. And I've really felt that she accomplished that. And then she sang Morgan. I'm giving this away for those of you who are listening and are about to see this show somewhere else. She sang Morgan as the encore, the Strauss hmm. song, which you would never expect to hear played on gut strings. <laughs> and it was really good. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you can really hear, Strauss's intent uh, with a much, much less vibrato, with much more, mm-hmm. you know, clean 
articulation. And uh, hats off to the violinist named Anna Fusek. Um, she was in um, like the second violin position, or maybe she was like first chair, but like in the second round. I don't know how you organize those things, but she was not the, the concert master or anything like that. Uh, but she got up from her vi- her chair and picked up a sopranino recorder and played the obbligato to the handle aria Augiletiche cantate from memory. And like, she did it with some like stage antics too. Jeez. And it was so, it was the best thing the entire night. This woman playing that soprano recorder from memory and like doing stuff with the dancer. The show the, had you know. everything, man. It was, it was awesome. And then the conductor, uh, uh, Maxim Emelianichev, I mm-hmm. think is his name, um, Russian kid. He looks like he's 15 years old. Okay. He looks like he's wearing his dad's suit. His hair is so long and like falls in his face. Like it's ridiculous how much of a he kid is, he looks it's... like. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant conductor. And he played the cornetto. Like he got up in the middle of one of these arias and played the cornetto obligato. It was insane. <laughs> so that's Il Pomodoro. That's the orchestra. It's Joyce Donato in War and Peace. If it's coming to a town near you, I do recommend it. And don't be surprised if she sings Strauss at the end. Math and Black, welcome to the show, buddy. Oh, is there somebody else here? Hey. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. No, it's always a pleasure to come and sit in with you guys. Always so very nice. Thanks for having me. Uh, not at all. Dinah Fisher is out with a stomach flu tonight. Oh, We all know what that means. She's been drinking way too much. You know how Giovanna used to lie and say that she was out sick when she was just hungover? Yeah. I think Dinah's starting to do the same thing as or well. Or pregnant or something. Yeah. Something like, <gasps> what? Whoa. <laughs> Just throwing that out from no, left not, field. Not, Thanks, Oliver. Not Dinah. Uh, I'm talking about Giovanna. So <laughs> what's on your Christmas list, Mathen? Oh, man. What is on my Christmas list? Actually, you know, there is something new on my Christmas list. For all you music nerds out there, I have been uh, stepping my sight singing game up mm-hmm. like no one's business. Yeah, you always talk about that. And I just learned about a new style of sight singing called non-contextual harmonizing. I've been doing a lot of modern music. And over this last week, I got to do my first international recording um, contract with Ross Crean's opera, The Great God Pan. Mm-hmm. And so much of that music is non-linear and has all this verticality to it. And uh, anytime we complained about it, Ross would always say, well, you know, you just need to learn how to sightsee Schoenberg and then every thing would be fine so for christmas this year i want to be able to pick tritones and major and minor sevens out of a lineup anytime anywhere santa can you bring that to me uh, I, well I, I don't know what else would be on your list if not that nothing really i mean a good new metronome could be kind of nice okay. but i don't think i really need that a big old beer a big old bottle of bourbon will treat me quite well. Yeah, you're around alcohol all the time. All right, you guys, let's go ahead and talk some opera. Here we go. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. All right, so big announcement last week was Russian baritone Dmitry Vorostovsky wrote on his website. This is through his publicist. He writes, It is with great sadness that I must withdraw from opera performances for this foreseeable future. I've been experiencing balance issues associated with my illness, which is brain cancer. We'll get to that in a second. Making it extremely difficult for me to perform in staged productions. I will continue to give concerts and recitals as well as make recordings. Singing is my life, and I want to continue bringing joy to people worldwide with this pause in my operatic career and more rest in between each engagement. I hope to have more time to focus on my health and treatment. Uh, Where to begin on this story? Borostovsky was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2015. He's currently being treated in London for this illness, and we don't really know much more than that. You know, he's pretty private. I think like a lot of sports guys, they're very kind of private about what these injuries are. Here's what you do need to know about Borostovsky. Born in 1962, which makes him 54 right now. He's born in Siberia, an only child. And at 27, he won the BBC Cardiff Singer of the World competition. Mathen... It's your wet dream to win that competition as a baritone. What do we need to know about the competition? Uh, This is one of the largest competitions in the entire world and is one of the things that can really catapult a young singer to stardom. The thing that was so important about Dmitry Hvorostovsky's win is not that he just won it, although that in itself is a Herculean effort. He won it by beating Bryn Terfel out for the top prize. So 1989 was known as the Battle of the Baritones, and they even there's video footage that you can find of them meeting and sort of like trash-talking each other about it. (laughs) Bryn Terfel did go on to win the leader prize that year, but Dmitry took the whole prize over, and he took it winning by singing some phenomenal arias. Um, 
particularly some of the Russian literature um, from Pik Dam and also Eritu from Unbalo in Maschera. Oh, I thought he sang from Queen of Spades. Oh, that's what I'm. Yeah. That is Queen of Spades, Pik Dam. Oh, duh. <laughs> it, it's okay. We deal with a lot of languages yeah. here, but that's how that works. Um, but he he has been on my radar as one of the top baritones in the world since I first started singing. Yeah. And when we heard about this news of his brain cancer uh, almost a year ago now, I guess uh, it was huge devastation. But no one quite knew how it was going to affect him and the opera world. You know, let's take a little listen to that clip from Every Two. Actually, uh, hey, check it out. It's coming up in one second. There's a little bit of a leader time here. Uh, this is from the Met 2012. great singer he's also a total silver fox you know he went prematurely gray and he's got this long mane of silver yeah. it's not even like gray it is like white his hair is like yeah. it's silver yeah. he really yeah. is yeah. like a silver fox he's handsome to boot he is yeah. really handsome he his american operatic debut was in 1993 right here in chicago at lyric with la traviata uh i assume that was in the role of Dramond. I, I didn't see that on the credit, but I assume that's what he was singing. Yeah. Uh, and um, he was back. He wasn't at, singing Violetta. He wasn't singing Baron Dwolfo. <laughs> well, he definitely wasn't going to fit into that dress. <laughs> so, and then he was back at Lyric in 2007 to do Eugene Onegin, which, look, he's a Russian singer. That is exactly the sort of role that you want to see him in. And yes, that was one of the first shows I think I ever saw at Lyric. Oh, the, with Dmitry Vodosovsky? Yes. With Dima? That's exactly okay. right. The production, it's the Robert Carson production. It's back this season, oddly enough. That is yeah. kind of, it's a good production. I'm not no, going to go see production. it again, you know? I love that production. It's I just think like, it's better than the one that they came out with. It's originally. leaves. It's like the whole stage is just covered with autumnal leaves. Oh, it's gorgeous. That first moment in the overture where they stage and he opens the letter and you think letter that leaves are wrapped yeah. up in and yeah. then the lights yeah. come up. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous. Exactly. It's great. It's great. Um, There's a movie of that production. That's with Renee Fleming. That was from the Met. One from of the, the first, Met. Mm -hmm. One of the first HD broadcasts. So. And then, of course, you know, the years go by. He's done some charity work as well. He's the honorary director of the Russian Children's Welfare Society, which, if you're a kid in Russia, man, you really want Horstovsky helping you out. That's a pretty short straw to draw. Uh, but here's the problem, right? He has fallen ill. Brain cancer, of course. He's uh, been singing. Last fall, he was uh, singing... Um, the role of the Conte di Luna at the Met and at Covent Garden last month again in Vienna, singing in Traviata. Vienna says he's coming back for a concert in March, but at the same time, he's canceled his performances of Vinyagin uh, at the Met in the spring of 2017. So first question, Mathen, for you is, where does Vorostovsky stack up against other baritones like Simon Keenly-Side, Gerald Finley, Teddy Tattoo Rhodes, Boscovis? It's always so hard when you talk about these guys who are at the top of their game right now. Uh, so much is subjective. I'm going to have a different answer than Oliver has. He's going to have a di different answer than you have. But if we're talking about sheer artistry, power, breath control, intonation, all of the things that make a total package baritone, he's at the top for me and has been for a long time. As he has gotten older and as his voice has matured, it has changed, but he always maintains that vocal integrity and that artistic integrity that is thrilling. After he was diagnosed with brain cancer, he gave a concert at the Lyric earlier in this year, which I was right. lucky enough to go to. Okay. I was really worried about how his voice would hold up, how his stamina was, and even with the brain cancer and undergoing treatment, he was phenomenal. 
he's an amazing musician even to this day and i i'm still gonna put him on on top above every person you mentioned it's opera box score on wnur 89.3 fm oliver are you as big a fan of vorostovsky as mathen is absolutely um i have to say that what makes him special is that even from the start of his career he knew what lane he was supposed to be in he had uh, chosen repertoire that he cared about and really devoted a lot of his career to especially russian art song um his first like handful of recordings are all dedicated to russian music and uh, yeah he was a big uh, advocate of song uh in his native language and from the start from this cardiff singer competition he knew that one of the, his special skills was his breath control and he knew how to exploit it and that's what distinguishes you from other singers. Like you do something really, really well and you show it off, you know, and don't be shy about it. And he, I've met, I've, did, I've never like met him, like shook his hand, but I've, I've been around him like in master classes mm -hmm. and, and I see how he is. And he's, he knows himself very well. Yeah. yeah. And he's kind of like a jock, you know, and there's something very appealing about that. And um, there are other baritones out there that Simon Kinley side comes to mind who also have phenomenal techniques and maybe really beautiful tone qualities. But, uh, Borosovsky put together something that really was unique uh, and you can't mistake his voice for anybody else's. Well, we're talking about this Russian rep so much. Let's yeah. take a listen to another clip. This is going to be the finale uh, of Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin. Here he's singing, it's some festival or event right outside of the Kremlin, which was the YouTube clip which was on his website. <laughs> and he's singing with uh, Ananda Trebko. I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. crowd goes wild in red square so i uh in the 90s i'm gonna say uh he did a recital at um cso mm -hmm. and um he comes out he's like wearing like leather pants and like <laughs> and like his shirt is open down like almost to his yep. navel you know and i've never so seen like mathen on a friday i've night. never seen so many russian people at the cso they all showed yeah. up like oh, in yeah, their furs yeah. and their totally. hats. and totally. then he did like some uh folk song at the end something i probably should know the name of it and like right. everybody was singing along and clapping it's like it's an experience to go see borosovsky with russians yeah. <laughs> or where there are russians so math and okay so you're a singer um what's it going to be like for borosovsky when he's not on that stage performing these roles for him as a person, I, I don't know. The hope is that he's going to be able to continue doing all of this concert work. You know, but we, we all have to come to the realization that one day you're not going to be at the top of your game in terms of singing. Uh, because of age, because of where the music is going, because of vocal health, any of those things happen. And there's a, a well-trod tradition of singers then being able to give back from an educational standpoint. 
if Dmitry Havorostovsky has to step away from his performance performing career, if he does have to take time off from that to heal, I hope that he's able to put time into training the next generation of young baritones because I would love to learn from that man. You think he'd be doing something like that in America, though? I, mean, I think he honestly, would probably do it in Russia. But he did the Steens program here in Chicago. He was, really, yeah. yeah. He wasn't participating in it. He was teaching it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he looked like a soccer player on vacation, you know? <laughs> like, he had, like, really nice gym shoes and, like, you know, really well-fitting jeans, like a really bright, yeah. like, shirt. Like, yeah. he was, like, awesome, you know? Yeah. That's white hair. We watch this space. I mean, all you can do right now is say a prayer for the guy. You know, it's it's been a great ride. When you say it out loud, a man has brain cancer. He's fighting it. You, yeah, you just hope for the best. It's, but yeah, it's, it's no fun. It's no fun. <laughs> Bless his heart. Stick around here on 89.3 WNUR, Opera Box Score. We're going to take a short break, and we will be right back right after this. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Caregiving101.org, a message from the National Family Caregivers Association and National Alliance for Caregiving. The Consumer Credit Counseling Service of Metropolitan Family Services helps individuals and families gain control over financial problems through budget counseling, debt payment, and education programs. This program returns more than $8 million to creditors each year. If you need help planning a budget or paying bills, call a CCCS expert at 1-888-239-CCCS. This message brought to you by Metropolitan Family Services and WNUR. The Center for Public Integrity is a nonprofit organization that undertakes investigations and analysis of public service, government accountability, and ethics related issues within American politics and provides the American public with its findings through books, reports, and newsletters. To learn more about the Center for Public Integrity and the issue of honesty in politics and media, visit their website at www.publicintegrity.org. This message brought to you by WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. Class, Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and all the way from down south, Math and Black. <laughs> People from Arkansas don't actually sound like that. Sometimes they do. Really? Oh, yeah. You know, my grandfather, uh, he used to live in Arkansas. My uncle used to live in Hot Springs. Oh, Hot Springs is a beautiful part of the country. If you guys have never been to Arkansas, some of the most beautiful Lucky country you. you will ever find. Oh, <laughs> George, don't start that with me. The first time I ever ate a hush puppy and fried okra was in Arkansas. Really? Those are two of the best things that can be I've had plenty of those things in Chicago, being. so... It's Opera Box Score on WNUR, 89.3 FM. Number in the studio, 847-866-WNUR. You can also reach us on Twitter, at Opera Box Score. Last week, I was telling our listeners that my favorite Christmas opera was A Mall in the Night Visitors. Is that your favorite Christmas opera, Oliver? Well, I mean, the point is that there's not that many operas that are about Christmas or operas that have Christmas scenes in them, mm -hmm. like... Um, Verter, I think, starts on Christmas. Right. Massenet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then it ends with him like shooting himself <laughs> on Christmas. So great Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Happy <laughs> Merry Christmas. And then, of course, there's the uh, first and second act of La Boheme are happening mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve, you know. Cafe Moomoos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But everybody's heard Boheme. Right. And uh, we don't need to hear Quantum and Bo for the gajillion time, Thank especially you. during audition season. <laughs> so I thought it'd be fun to play some of my. Uh, favorite things I like to listen to at Christmas time that get me in the spirit. Yeah, and uh, everybody knows that I'm a record recording file. What do you mm -hmm. call it? What's the word, Mathen? Of audio audio file? Not audio file. No, yeah. no, no. But something like become a collector. There you go. There we go. Uh, that makes you sound like a serial killer. And I'm not <laughs> okay with that. You got toenails in a jar somewhere, Oliver. Um, and so I like um recordings that have sort of like a grainy quality and that sound like they're coming from a phonograph mm -hmm. and it just makes me it feels warm like something about mono feels warm you know mono yeah <laughs> mono not stereo okay yeah. as opposed to mononucleosis yes go on exactly uh and so let's listen to uh about 52 seconds 
of one of my favorite tenors of all time singing O Little Town of Bethlehem from 1965. Let's see if Matt can name that tenor. Oh, God. Go ahead, Mathen, make a guess. You know I'm too narcissistic to be able to pick tenors out of a lineup. <laughs> that was Richard Tucker, one of the stars, American stars of uh, the Metropolitan Opera, one of the greatest tenors of all time. And like he has sung so much like Verdi and Puccini and these, you know, big roles. It's just so nice to hear somebody sing so easy. Like it was such an easy technique and the diction was so good and it was like so legato and yet it sounded very American, you know? It really did. The American diction and you have yeah. just a sense <laughs> of me. fun yeah. there, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. So here's something that you probably won't understand the words to, but it's a, another record I like to play at Christmas time just for poops and giggles because it's so outrageous. <laughs> uh, this is 30 seconds of Deck the Hall and you should be able to recognize Soprano right away. Also from 1965. <laughs> Completely frivolous and unnecessary, but you know that's the type of thing you like have playing yeah. while you're baking cookies or decorating the tree because mm -hmm. it's just it's just silly. Uh, we'll listen to a little bit more from that recording because it's just so grotesque. It's perverse. This is what <laughs> this is like deep cut <laughs> for fans of opera. Okay, and you're not going to tell us who it is just yet. Oh, it's right? the same person, yeah. <laughs> right? And then then you'll let us know. Yeah, the thing about it is like it's not artistic at all. It's just kind of like, it's like just kind of like balls to the wall singing and like no shaping of anything and like so many portamentos that are unnecessary and no diction whatsoever. But it's like you know what? <laughs> it's fun, you know. Can you just imagine her like recording all of these things with a cigarette, and a big can of Fosters, <laughs> just like doing one take and being like, it's fine. So that is yeah. a 1965 <laughs> recording called "The Joy of Christmas" uh, with Joan Sutherland and her husband. Richard Bonning conducting right so yeah so every now and then you have like one of these uh opera singers sings Christmas albums and it stops you dead in your tracks because they do something that is suddenly so sincere and sung with such beautiful tone quality that it makes you realize that oh that's actually a really good song like I so let's listen to an example of that something kind of the opposite will be heard uh this is Lane Teen Price from her album Christmas with Lane Teen Price from 1960. Read 
So that was the spiritual sweet little Jesus boy um, song by Lane Teen Prize. I basically acapella. I think there might be some orchestra that sneaks in there at the end there, but uh, that was just the first verse. And like, yeah, Richard Junker's got the sort of over enunciation going yeah. on. He's like the stars. Yeah. <laughs> and Leon Tain, she's intentionally dropping those final Ds. Yeah. Sweet little child. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, just that is. That's some flavor. 1960 Lane Teen Prize is yeah. like prime Lane Teen Prize. Like you can find no fault with the tone quality. Beautiful, beautiful sound. Um, all right, I did promise I wanted to play a couple of things you might not know about. Right. Um, these are works that rarely get performed because they are very hard to put together. Uh, they require full chorus, children's chorus, sometimes organ, sometimes bells, uh, full orchestra, and fantastic soloists. And they both happen to be British pieces. We're going to start with the fourth movement from the Benjamin Britten Cantata called St. Nicholas. Uh, this is Andrew Kennedy with the Choir of King's College under Stephen Cleoberry from a 2013 recording. Excellent choice. So you can hear just in that one movement how many forces you need. You need the organ, you need a children's choir, you need the actual adult choir. And there's actually, a, at the end of this movement, there is um, like a congregational anthem that the congregation is supposed to sing to. So you can also have like your community choir, college, or whatever, if you're doing this in a church, sing that one part. Um, it's amazing. I had a chance to do this piece uh, at Northwestern. Uh, with Dr. Robert Harris, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. And I don't, I don't understand why it's not performed more. I do actually know it's because the Messiah has performed it on this time of year. And if people are going to put something together, it's probably going to be that because it sells a lot of tickets. But I hope that we can start doing more works like this because it's really, really worth hearing. And I just recommend you go. If you're interested at all, go to your Spotify or wherever you listen to music. Download the fourth movement just to see what it's all about, then listen to the whole thing. But the fourth movie will really get you. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho and Mathen Black. Nobody writes like that. I mean, if it's in English and it's that complex, it has to be Benjamin Britten. I know. I mean, you could hear just in that three minutes we listened to all the 
influences like there's plain chant in there there's like these core british anthem feeling about it then it goes into this fugue which makes you feel like bach or like you know the brahms requiem or something like that it's just it's magnificent piece of music i thought it? you were going to pick ceremony of carols I like love Summer Carols. Such a good piece. I love harp in that. Yeah. Woo. I, I mean, I love children's choir. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I I like St. Nicholas even more than Ceremony of Carols. So. Um, We've got two more to go here. Next piece pairs perfectly with the Britain. If you have assembled those forces, you might as well do this piece too because they're both underneath an hour or about an hour long. So it makes a complete evening. This is the cantata Odier. And we're going to hear just the opening two and a half minutes of Odier. Uh, which is epic and gives you a feeling of also how tremendous this piece can be. Man, British music from that time was so cool. <laughs> I know. I mean, what rhythmic vitality, what interesting harmonies, those weird like stepwise mo mm -hmm. movements they always do. And the whole piece feels inspired by uh, the structure of Bach cantatas. You have this like really fantastic opening chorus with lots of instrument obligados. And then you have like uh, chorale moments, a cappella sections from the, from the chorus. And then you have like these recitatives or like these... Um, uh, Scola moments sung mm -hmm. by the children's choir and then beautiful arias. Uh, that recording is from 1965. Again, everything 1965 this year. That is uh, David Wilcox conducting the London Symphony Orchestra. And that recording features Dame Janet Baker, uh, wow. John Shirley yeah. Quirk, and uh, Richard Lewis as the tenor soloist. So I recommend you check that out. David Wilcox, of course, and Stephen Cleavery, who you mentioned earlier, yeah. both titans of King's College, yes. Cambridge. That is one of my big Christmas traditions, is listening to the Christmas Eve concert. It's no, Kings. Lessons and Carols, and they play it lessons on... Lessons yeah. and Carols, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I went one year with oh my mom. Oh, my God. I it was be, incredible. I, I will never forget I hear it's very touristy, live. though, so... It, it is. It's jumped the shark now. Yeah, yeah. Kings has, but... All right, last selection. Uh, I just want to play this because I never feel like Christmas has started in my house unless I listen to this record from start to finish. This is the 1991 Spirituals in Concert with Kathleen Battle and Jesse Norman, 
both singers in their prime. Kathleen Battles singing so bright, like the tone comes off her teeth, and Jesse Norman just being like solid and like being a wall of sound. Uh, this is um, Oh, What a Beautiful City. That's great. And we will play this out. We'll let our listeners enjoy this. Then we'll go straight into the break and we'll be right back on Opera Box Score. Here we go. Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. And this is the best of WNUR programming. Do you or someone you know have epilepsy and need help finding or keeping work? The Epilepsy Foundation of Greater Chicago can help. The foundation offers free vocational counseling, job-seeking skills, training, assistance in finding job leads, and follow-up support. For more information, call 312-939-8622 or go to www.efncil.org on the web. Will you always be living paycheck to paycheck? Not if the National Endowment for Financial Education can help it. Log on to www.smartaboutmoney.org today to take the first step towards improving your financial well-being and discover new ways to make your money work for you. Are you having problems with debt, managing your finances, or saving for retirement? Help us here and it's closer than you think. Visit smartaboutmoney.org to find answers to your financial concerns. Brought to you as a public service by the National Endowment for Financial Education and WNUR. Ever hear someone say, there are plenty of fish in the sea? There aren't. It's no joke. Many fish are declining in number, and you can make a difference. The folks at Environmental Defense have advice on how to choose fish that are plentiful or caught in an environmentally friendly way, which can help keep our oceans healthy and full of fish. Just visit getgreen.com, and you'll also find other easy tips on how you can help protect our world. That's getgreen.com. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know in two minutes or less. Last Saturday night, six women took turns leading the Dallas Opera Orchestra and various singers at the Windspear Opera House. The concert was a sort of graduation ceremony for participants in the Dallas Opera's second annual Heart Institute for Women Conductors. L.A. Opera has kicked off a three-season celebration of Bernstein leading up to his 100th birthday in 2018. Last week were performances of Bernstein's zany classic Wonderful Town led by resident conductor Grant Gershon. It appears that 12.5 million Italians watched the live relay of the original version of Madama Butterfly from La Scala. Conductor Riccardo Chailly's insistence on performing Puccini's original, which bombed in 1904, was acclaimed both inside the opera house and outside by watchers on a giant television screen. 
The director was the controversial Latvian Alvis Hermanis. Michigan Opera Theater in Detroit reported a surplus for the second year in a row on the strength of a 23% increase in ticket revenue and a 26% increase in contributions from the year before. Northern Ireland Opera have picked Walter Sutcliffe as artistic director, replacing Oliver Mears, who has gone to Covent Garden. Sutcliffe has extensive experience as a stage director in Europe. And finally on the disabled list, Monte Carlo Opera has issued the following statement for health reasons that have lasted three months. Mr. Jonas Kaufman is forced to cancel the December 12th date. The artist expresses his great regret at having to do so. And that comes on the uh, heels of his Nobel Prize cancellation. Big questions as to whether or not he's going to be able to rehearse Lohengrin in Paris in 2017. That's the two-minute drill. So lots there, boys, here on Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM. I'm George Cedarquist, joined by creative consultant Oliver Camacho. Yeah, there's lots to unpack in the Madam Butterfly thing, so I need to understand this better. Um, the original version, I'm, I when you first started talking about it, I thought you were saying the original production of Madam Butterfly. Like, how did they make a movie of the original right. production? No, like Puccini's original version yeah. of the opera that he composed. Okay. Which was in 1904. And Shayi was like adamant that we that they had to do this version at La Scala. I know that there's like some things where the second act becomes another act altogether. Like they break it, they turn it into like a three act or a four act show from a three act show or something like that. Like we're, Exactly. Um, That's exactly but right. But I don't know what else is different about the original version. I don't know. And man, some of these conductors, they get obsessed by these things that no one else really cares about. But they have such power in the room that everyone follows what they have to do. So if Shayi's like, we're going to do this original thing. Who is La Scala to argue with him? Okay. Well, there's a lot of uh, talk about the soprano um, Maria um, Jose Siri uh, as Madame Butterfly. Mm -hmm. I've never heard her sing, but supposedly she's like the real deal. She's yeah. really good. So for those of you who know her voice or have heard her perform, uh, let us know what you think about uh, her because she's getting really great reviews for that. I was just blown away that 12.5 million people watched it. Yeah, well, they like opera in Italy. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> but I mean, what's the population of Italy? Like 60 million? That's like a quarter of the Italians. Yeah. How many people in Chicago watched the the Cubs game? The, uh, the, the World Series? Well, there were 5 million people at the victory parade for the Cubs. <laughs> I was there. So, yeah. Did you really go? Yeah. Well, you're a crazy man, Mathen. It was fun. I had to be downtown at the restaurant anyway. Like, I okay. wasn't going to do that before. Okay. Um... I did not go to the Cubs victory. Because thing. you're not a real fan? It's fine. You don't like sports. No, dudes, because I got yeah. kids. <laughs> I like taking my kids down there. You're not a real man, so that's okay. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of fat, drunk dudes from Palatine. That's yeah. who's down at the Cubs uh, celebration. There goes our Palatine audience. I know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us. All five of them. Yeah. And they can't spell opera out in yeah. Palatine. How about the Dallas Opera uh, program for female conductors? I, I knew this was around. I haven't paid so much attention to it. Are you against it? Are you? I'm for it. Oh, okay. I'm absolutely for it. Here's the here's the rundown of the six participants. It's basically like this two week workshop, mm -hmm. where they take six women who are actually in the workshop, and then they have four sort of alternates, I guess. So people who kind of observe what's going on, but they don't actually end up conducting in it. Elizabeth Askren, Mihaela Sessa Goya, Alexandra Crovero. Tianyi Lu, Chao Wen Ting, and Zoe Zeniodi. Only one of them is from the U.S., I would add. Which one is that? That would be Elizabeth Askren. Okay. Well, we want her to win? It's not a competition. It's <laughs> oh, just okay. It's just about the, uh, USA. USA. It's, it's not like America's Next Top Model or something like that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're women. Don't they have to have yeah. like a swimsuit well, competition? Like, oh my. Yeah. See, this is what Trump yeah. has done to this country. Is now you can say things like this, and, and people won't get upset. This is such an awesome thing to have, especially at one of the world's major opera houses like the Windspear. But at the same time, anytime I see something like this, it just makes me sad because I want there to be a day when women composers and women conductors are just the norm. So if this helps us get to that point, then go Dallas. But man, we've got a lot of strides to deal with in sexism, even in a field like classical music. I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that is what Dallas is trying to do is that they're, in, they're obviously not trying to patronize female conductors they're trying to bring attention to it they're trying to promote it and i think you're absolutely right math and is that one day there will be a much level playing field i'm surprised that dallas of all opera houses would do this i mean they are a pretty progressive opera house it just doesn't oh. seem like it fits with the larger culture 
in Dallas. You mean Texas? Correct. You mean that Texas is mis- like inherently misogynist? or In a way, yes. Okay. It, it seems like a coastal elite city would be doing this sort of thing. Okay. Good. I'm glad that it's happening in Dallas then. We sh- I think yeah. we should be thrilled that it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sort of unrelated topic. Did anybody, I, I sort of, it was one of those stories I almost started reading, but I didn't finish reading it. Like Madonna accepted some award and she got up and made a speech about how hard it is to be a woman. And like even now, and you know, she's whatever, 60 years old. And she says that being a woman was like the, the hardest thing okay. and getting old is also the hardest thing. And she, like she's in trouble with the public for get, for daring to be a woman and daring to have like uh, a sexual sex drive and speaking her mind yeah. and like, and getting old, you know, yeah. it was really like bizarre statement and like out of nowhere that like, um, but it has to do clearly with what's happening globally right now, you know, uh, especially in American politics. Um, I don't know. I just made me think of that. So no, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Nobody else heard about that story. Uh, no, no, I, I no, read I that I as did. well. Okay, did you read about it, Amber? Oh, okay, <laughs> Amber is our technician today, and she doesn't have a mic, so I'm, I'm on her behalf. She did not read it. You're so. putting words. She's in the her only. Mouth. She's the That's only woman in the room here. I've come close. So. <laughs> so next, next time we're putting, yeah. we're putting Amber. <laughs> yeah. on. Are we going to talk about Michigan Opera Theater? Do like, it, dude. Holy crap, man! An opera house that has a surplus two years in a row. What are they doing right in the city of Detroit? Detroit, I'll Michigan. Have you, know. have you been to the opera house there? I have. Yeah, David DeCary is a good friend of mine. That's a gorgeous Drink. opera house. Beautiful, and they're doing a lot of great stuff. They're I've doing actually great work. I'm pulling up right now their season because i thought what are they programming that they have this and i don't know if this is just michigan opera theater or also the destroyed opera house or whatever it is there's a lot of ballet here there's the phantom of the opera there's the lion king they're doing mark adama's little women they're doing a lot of ballet with the alvin ailey and cinderella but then they're also doing like the girl of the golden west and a mot children's chorus for performance of the hobbit is this how they make money now i now i see your point so the detroit opera house is the venue Sometimes Broadway tours will go in there, and then sometimes Michigan Opera Theater performs. And it sounds like what you're reading, Mathen, is a list of all of those performances all jumbled up together. So MOT's not making money by performing The Lion King. That is correct. (laughs) Yes. They are, however, doing Fanchula do West. Uh, They did Silent Night this past season. They've done The Passenger. My my dad is a subscriber to MOT, and he just drives in from Ann Arbor and and goes and sees the shows. Your dad drives from Ann Arbor? To, to Detroit, yeah. And he comes to Chicago, too, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Can you ask him to bring us some Zingermans? That would cost extra. <laughs> Those sandwiches are like 15 bucks, No, man. I'm just talking about like the bread, like the coffee cake is so good there. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about a nice, like, cheese wheel for you? Oh, sure. You I do? like the coffee cake. Okay, yeah. Yeah. coffee cake. The bread in general is really good over there. All so, right, yeah. I'll make a note of that. Yeah, and the coffee. I'm, I'm thrilled that MOT, I mean, as Mathen said, here's an opera company that's actually making money. $700,000 as a surplus is what they have in the nice. bank right now, just based off that season. That's pretty good. I'm thrilled for Walter Sutcliffe. Again, now you can drink on this because he's European. He is a friend of mine. I met him a couple <laughs> years ago. Uh, as I said on the intro, he is replacing Oliver Mears. Oliver Mears was at Northern Ireland Opera. He's moved on to Covent Garden. Walter Sutcliffe is now moving to Northern Ireland from just from a freelance directing career. Frankly, my question is, why was Sutcliffe overlooked for that position in Covent Garden? Or frankly, at English National Opera... Which is now well, run what by is Daniel Kramer's kind of uh, CV. Like, what are his big credits? He is a besides being your friend, obviously, which is like acquaintance. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he is he's a high concept director. Okay. I mean, he's worked in Estonia, Germany. It's it's high concept where stuff. the weird stuff happens. It, where the weird stuff yeah. happens. Yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, but I don't think that would have put him out of the running at a place like Covent Garden. I mean. The, they they try, and but if he's a freelancer, I think they probably want someone who's managed a company. You know? Okay, I see your point. So so the reason that Mears got the job at Covent Garden was because of his administrative background at Northern Ireland. Yeah, but that now made, that makes sense. But now there's a vacuum that's been created over there in the UK, so maybe you can get sucked up into it. That makes sense. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, what about this Leonard Bernstein three year anniversary celebration? Three years, right? So. In, in 2018, it's Bernstein's 100th birthday. Mm-hmm. L.A. Opera has now got three shows in the next three years to kind of okay, lead kind up of like to this anniversary. Okay, kind of like what Florida was doing at the Verity, like mm-hmm. do every single Verity ish. Opera. Yeah, not that hard ish. to do with Bernstein, ish. actually. Ish. <laughs> well, it's not that hard to Bernstein. I mean, once you've done Wonderful Town, yeah. West Side Story, Candide, Trouble in Tahiti, and possibly Mass. And A Quiet Place. Quiet Place. Thank yeah. you, Matt. But those are not operas. 
Those what? are operas. Quiet Place is an no, opera. No, mass. But 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 it's an oratorio, and you can stage oratorio. Okay. You should stage it. They did it at Northwestern, okay. actually. Okay. Yeah. I would love to stage mass. I, I think would it's love a to great play time. the celebrant, right? Oh, dude, you'd be marvelous, man. Yeah, it'd be wonderful. You'd be so is good. Is there in it? Yes. Okay. Oliver. <laughs> I take it back, Mathen. What I just said. Uh, Wonderful Town is, is that's a quirky piece. It's about these two girls from Ohio that moved to New York City to kind of follow. And then their Trouble dreams. Tahiti is like in there, right? Like you. It, Trouble in Tahiti is in the middle of Quiet Place. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Wonder, Wonderful Town was just done at the Goodman Theater here mm. in Chicago, actually. Uh, to mixed reviews. But it's, as a, I it's like a musical. Say. It's a musical theater piece, though. It's musical theater. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't West Side Story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but it's being performed as opera in Europe all, all over the place, but I still feel like it's musical theater. Well, it's being performed at LA Opera as there an opera. There you go. You know? So, I like that they're celebrating Bernstein. That's a really cool thing. I feel like Bernstein is still our safe bet for modern opera in the United States. Mm-hmm. You can put Candide on anywhere and it's just weird enough to be cool for the hipsters, but it's still Norman, normal enough for the blue hairs. I think it's a safe bet, but I don't mind hearing Bernstein. The thing about Candide is that it works perfectly well in a concert setting. That overture is so famous. Mm-hmm. If you've got a great orchestra, people just want to sit and listen to the overture. Isn't it the most funny. played piece by by orchestras, like the, the most popular piece of music? Maybe uh, Beethoven 9 is, I'm not sure, but it's up there. Yeah. It's like one of the most performed pieces. Of uh, music, top so. 10. I'm yeah. sure it's top 10. It could be the most famous American. Yeah, I know you yeah. said 9. You meant yeah. 5. It could be the most famous American orchestral piece played. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who else would would go head to head. Uh, yeah, it's not beating the Liebestod. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think well, of another Appalachian, major... like a- a- oh, Aaron Copeland. Copeland. Yeah. 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 What about Faraday Grofe and um, the uh, Grand Canyon Suite? Do you know that? <laughs> no. Did you ever play that in middle school band? No, I wasn't in middle school band. <laughs> you were in a band. I geek? went. I went to public you school. Were a band we, geek. Didn't, we didn't have band. Mathen, were you a band geek? Heck yeah, I played the clarinet for like six years. (laughs) You played the clarinet. Yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right, let's wrap this let's wrap this show up. I I can't take much more of the the band geekness. Here we go. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for a fantastic show. I really appreciate it, Oliver Camacho. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate Matt and Back stepping in for the Ailing Dinah Fisher, yeah. Yes. Feel better, Dinah. Yes. Watch those gin and tonics next time, girlfriend. <laughs> uh, Matt and Black, you're our guest. You go first. You got a good call or a bad call? I have a good call. Someone hired Tobias Wright to do work here in the city Yay! of Chicago. And all of you listening at home, all of you dear listeners, have a chance to go see him. Um, Light Opera Works here in Evanston is putting on a production of Flatermouse that Toby's going to be singing in. You can go see that December 26th through January 1st, I think. It's going to be great. If you play your cards right, I'll even go with you. Aww, Oliver nice. Camacho, over to you. Um, Saturday was the opening night of Lyric Opera's new production of The Magic Flute. They've been trotting out that old production for like 30 years, and I've seen it so many times. But they have a new one, and uh, it features uh, two singers who are friends slash acquaintances of mine, uh, Rodel Roselle uh, in the role of Benacitos, who got a great review great. in a role that's kind of thankless. Love Rodel. And David Govertson as Dave! the speaker, who also like got a great review in a very thankless role that's all of yep. six lines. So, yes. so good on them. So, yeah. And next month, uh, when they uh, come back from their break in January, Matthew Ponzani, uh, a former guest of Opera Box Girl, will be singing the role of Tamino. That's a marvelous good call. Hey, I went to the American Opera Society of Chicago's Winter Gala on Saturday night mm-hmm. at the Fort Knightley Club Fancy. in the Gold Coast with Tobias Wright. And Emily Beerson sang, right? That is correct. Guest of Opera Box Score. And so a guest of Vox Score, I met Eugenia Cheng for the first time, who was accompanying her. And Oliver and I had a total hoot. We got pretty lit up. We had a great dinner. You mean Tobias and you. Who would I say? You said me. I said you? Wow. No, who's definitely (laughs) Tobias. Freudian slip. Yes. No, it's definitely Tobias. We had just a total hoot. So thank you to all the great folks at American Opera Society of Chicago for for Was it in somebody's house? It was at the Fort Knightley, which is this old women's club. And And what was the food like? The food was great. It was veal and spinach. Was there like a celery soup? soup or something? There was a celery soup. Oh, my God. Okay. I know who catered that party. You awesome. can t- you can tell me off, off the air. <laughs> hey, that's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R. 
S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. At WNUR, our programming director is Nick Anderson and the general manager is Brack Stussy. Our theme song, Vodka Inferno, is written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score. Like our Facebook page, share our posts, comment on our posts, tweet us at Opera Box Score, the hashtag Opera Balls. Go ahead and use it. Subscribe to our podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Give us 30 seconds of your time and leave a review on iTunes. Cheapest, fastest way to promote our show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Math and Black, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera at your office holiday party. That is if you get an office holiday party. We're back live on air next Monday night, 9 central, with the final installment of our holiday special. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment. <laughs>